the problem with Fred is that he is a really naughty boy. He's my size, but he's, I play him like a kind of really spoiled, unpleasant, overexcited seven-year-old. His version of having fun is like excitement, and his version of excitement is breaking things. He likes to be naughty, he likes to break windows, he likes to break the furniture, he likes to smash the TV set up, he likes to wipe dog poo all over the carpet. Uh, that's what he does. And uh, that's okay, that's kind of containable when, uh, in, in a little girl's world. But when he's doing it to an in an adult's world, and remember, no one else can see him, so his friend Phoebe Cates is getting the blame for all of this. When he smashes up a restaurant, she gets the blame. When he smashes up a string quartet, she gets the blame. I don't want to give away too many of the gags. Um, so it's a nightmare for her. Um, but ironically, he actually sorts her life out, really, because she's living an unhealthy sort of life. When he smashes that life to pieces, um, she starts to live properly again. Welcome to part two of our Drop Dead Fred episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for some PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our beloved patrons know what they can expect on their uh, patron feed. And that's also where we let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. Alex, we're getting ready to close uh, June here. We're right in the middle of the summer. Uh, we got some... Some good stuff cooking on our Patreon channel. Brandon Curtis, once again, Patreon Brandon Curtis, hitting us with a healthy dose of Indian cinema. Yep. Our Patreon exclusive for this month is the movie Soryovanshi, which is kind of a, another piece of the puzzle on the road to Singham 3. So I, I think that the way that the chronology goes is uh, Singham, which we watched together and we did an mm -hmm. episode for on Patreon. Then... Uh, Simba, which I did a QVR for uh, that same month. Then Singham 2, which you did a QVR for. Singham Returns, thank you. <laughs> Singham Returns, I'm sorry. <laughs> and then uh, Suryavanshi, which is a movie that we're going to be doing for the Patreon exclusive. Uh, and then Singham 3, I guess that's the final movement. Singham Forever. <laughs> and so this has to be done. It's another super cop. We're about to meet another super cop that's buddies with Singham and Simba. Uh, sure, why not? Sign me up. I just did a QVR for uh, Minal Murali, which is an Indian superhero movie, which is not something I, I expected to watch when 2022 started. And you did one for 2.0, which mm -hmm. I guess is more on the, the sci-fi side of things. It's on uh, the side of something. <laughs> it's, it's on the side, for sure. QVRs and a Patreon exclusive all devoted, once again, to uh, Indian cinema. Uh, and then... We have part four of uh, the Rock v. Cena miniseries, the one that's about the actual match and uh, my very complicated feelings about it. <laughs> that's right. Uh, total, yeah, we're well over 10 hours now on our Patreon just with the coverage of that feud, the, the lead into it and the match itself. And then uh, next month will be part five, which is kind of like the post-mortem, the whatever happened to these guys episode. Uh, but yeah. This is the one where, uh, at least for me, I mean, I'm sure wrestling fans are like happy. They already know what happened. There's just, just them, you know, reminiscing about good stuff. But but for me, especially this like episode four, chapter four, there's a lot of Alex reassuring me that it's gonna be okay, <laughs> and I guess we'll know for sure once we do uh, part five. But that's right. In the meantime, just enjoy the journey, like I am. Uh, as usual, we'll also have our. Uh, cutting room floor segments and our pre-recording notes and then of course contrarians after hours uh, 
this is not a friend extravaganza episode, which means that our after hours is once again just the standard stuff, which is recommendations uh, or just conversations about things that we're watching, uh, listening to, playing, reading, what have you. Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time? Well, you called out that I had brought up Drinking Buddies recently, and I watched that movie, and uh, we didn't actually have a discussion about it, because you're a fan of that as well, correct? Yes, I saw it a while ago, and I was pleasantly surprised. I didn't know what I expected, but it was uh, I walked away happy. And then, as I mentioned recently on a Romeo and Michelle episode, I finished finally you're the worst uh, which is on hulu it was an fx television show i tried to watch through before and got to a certain point where i couldn't keep going uh and i tried to power through this time and i did and i finished it so i'll be talking about my thoughts on that series pretty good but there's yeah there's some things to discuss what about yourself julio well alex uh a long running bit on the show comes to an end because i finally watched spencer hell so. yeah I'm going to have to come up with a different excuse next time you ask me to watch something. Um, so I'm, I'm eager to share my thoughts with you now that we're we're both on the same level. Uh, more importantly, though, I want to give major props and kind of share my joy at the fact that the kids in the hall are back. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but they not only did they put the entire series on Amazon Prime, but also there's a new season. And... Uh, it's hilarious because they still call themselves the kids in the hall and these dudes are probably in their 60s now. Thankfully, they're just as funny as they were back in the day. And uh, so there's eight new episodes of Kids in the Hall uh, madness and uh, I can't wait to tell you about it. So that's me, Spencer, Kids in the Hall, and then you'll bring Drinking Buddies and You're the Worst. A solid uh, feast for after hours. Uh, alongside everything else that we already mentioned. So if any of that sounds interesting, just visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash contrarianprime. Check out our tiers, see if you'd like to uh, contribute and join the Contrarian Supplements. $1, $3, $5, and $10. Head on over. You can just start off at a buck. It gets you in on the ground level. You have access to some of the things we've discussed here. And uh, yeah, check it out. See what you like. If you'd like to see more of something, we are the contrarians at gmail.com. Or if there's something you don't like, just let us know. Be like, hey, Cut it out. You're wasting your energy here. Uh, to all our current patrons, thank you so much. We love you all. And to any potential new ones, as I like to say, we're taking applications. So check out our patron because we appreciate it when you do. And when you're a patron, you, you get away with uh, making us watch movies like Drop Dead Fred. I got some dog poo right here. <laughs> it's true you get to demand films for us to cover and <laughs> and it can lead to things like this where you wonder why ever you ever started a podcast in the first place <laughs> just sitting there in front of my tv just contemplating the choices i made this was this was this was tough this was rough this is this might be the new king. I, I couldn't think of a movie we've done that I wouldn't watch over this again. Oh, I, I'm sure Hancock would get you more worked up. Ooh, I always forget about Hancock because I just try to block out of my brain. Yeah, okay. So it's not the worst, but. <laughs> I'd say uh, Fred was not the only one dropping dead while yeah. I was watching this movie. You watched it twice? Well,. Okay, so now the real talk, like I fell asleep halfway through the movie 
And then the way that I have it set up here, uh, the way I was watching it, because I, I was like, okay, I'll just rewind to the part that I missed, but that's not how it happened. Uh, like it was, it was easier to just start it again and fast forward. And that means that while I was fast forwarding, it was playing the beginning. I don't know if you you're familiar with how like Amazon Prime does it, but mm. um, it doesn't uh, speed it up. It just it shows you on the bar. You see how you're, you know the time code keeps moving forward, yeah. but the movie's still playing. So while I was waiting for the time code to reach the part where I'd fallen asleep, the opening was playing. So I got to see the opening again. And then uh, and then I just, after I caught up with the part that I missed, I just left it playing while I was doing other stuff. Because uh, I was like, maybe I missed something. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is no. Well, 11% on Rotten Tomatoes, and as we've come to find out, it's one that our demander, our patron, enjoys. Um, okay. <laughs> Did he give reason? You said he requested it pretty fast. That was it. He just gave me the he just gave me the the title. And then I said, Oh, I've never seen it. This is great. And then he just gave me the thumbs up. Uh but I mean, as as we were discussing before we started recording. If you go to Letterboxd, there's not a review from Paul for Drop Dead Fred, but there is a rating. It gives it four stars. As does his Film Busters counterpart, uh, Ben. Yeah, Ben also gives it four stars. That's. Uh, I wonder if Adam hates it. That'd be perfect. <laughs> just just to, to keep things balanced. But, uh, man, big praise from both, uh, from both Film Busters. Maybe it's a British thing. I don't know. Is, is Drop Dead Fred just big? In England, is that just a, uh, you know, because of the British comedian that's at its center? Look, I don't think that plays any small part in it. I can't speak for them why they enjoy it, but I think it's cool that uh, Rick Mayall had his role here and you know got featured a starring role in an American film. And I am loosely familiar with his comic stylings and some of the work he did i mean he's again i'm not english but i'm fairly positive he's a fairly legendary performer um i was reading earlier the people that attended his funeral would indicate as such um so that might have something to do with it but i I don't know you know there's a lot of people uh that i found in reviews and discussion about it oh it's an analogy you know it's a Mm -hmm. it's an allegory okay (laughs) <laughs> what fuck what does he say in uh adventureland was that a parable i think that's what he says do you think that you enjoyed this movie better if you had an imaginary friend growing up i did have an imaginary friend growing up i don't remember it because i was a little kid my parents told me about it though was he a troublemaker from all accounts it was a she apparently named oh. missy miss that i just kind of walked around the house and talked with because I was wondering, right here, all the old imaginary friends are shown as bad influences, which turn out to be good influences, I guess, in the big scheme of things. But you know, they're the troublemakers. So, is that the case, or are there imaginary friends that calm you down? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you are, you are the one that wants to break shit, and your imaginary friend goes, "No, come on, chill. You don't need to do this." Yeah, well, it's also like why there's he told me to burn things, things like that. <laughs> yeah, I think. Little kids, there's all kinds of stimulation that they have mentally that can be good or bad. But for the most part, yeah, that's not to say that all imaginary friends are bad influences or anything like that. Hashtag not all imaginary friends. Yes. 
So what reviews were you able to find that uh, and what were they saying about this in a positive light? Oh, there's there's a few fresh tomatoes, pretty red tomatoes, pretty round tomatoes. I'll start with that. Jorge Loser from Spinoff, who says a fantastic cult comedy. Um, I mean, cult is correct. I yes. think this is one of those where it just fits. There's no discussing it. There's no arguing against that. Definitely a cult movie. Um, Jay Boyar from the Orlando Sentinel says, The movie is no comic masterpiece, but it is consistently amusing in a way that sometimes reminded me of a kitty picture and at other times of a more sophisticated comedy. Wow. Dude, I don't know that I would call this sophisticated at Hell all. No. I think it, it deals with some heavy subject matter, but I, not in a sophisticated way. I wouldn't think so. Then... Brian Costello from Common Sense Media says, Slapstick 90s comedy is filled with crass humor. That's just a description, Brian. That doesn't tell me <laughs> why you like it. And my, my final screenshot in this collection of quotes is just the... Because, you know, when I looked at my letterbox, Ben and Paul... Ben Murray and Paul Mayers are, like, right next to each other. So it's like, Ben, four stars. Paul, four stars and a heart. And I'm like, that says it all. The big divide. We'll get to our reviews here in a little bit, but I, I was not so kind. Well, I told you, uh, I was originally, I went to Letterboxd, not to check their, their score, because I usually like to keep it in the dark, uh, but more because I thought maybe I can pull some fun Letterbox quotes. And uh, I, I kind of gave up after a few minutes of going through them, because all the positive quotes were, they were very earnest. It's, it's kind of like what you're saying, you know, they were just people that really take this movie to heart and really praise the portrayal of... Uh, mental health and mental issues and dealing with your past traumas and all that stuff. And I'm like, yes, I see that in the movie, but I don't see it handled anywhere near as well as you guys say it is. And nor, nor does that make it a good movie. <laughs> yes. I think there's a time and a place to uh, talk about, you know, your fucked up childhood and how that affects your fucked up adulthood. And, Maybe Drop Dead Fred was not it. <laughs> At least not in this incarnation. Well, it can't figure out. Its biggest problem is it can't figure out if it wants to be a kid's movie or a movie for adults. That's one yes. of the problems. not its biggest problem. But um, the biggest problem is the, the stack of papers that says Dop Drop Dead Fred on it. And then <laughs> plays out the rest of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Can you identify, like, just because you brought it up, like, can you really take a stab at saying what the big problem is with Drop Dead Fred? Ooh. Uh, if they're going for as serious of a movie as a lot of the defendants want to say they are, the the portrayal of Fred and the performance by Rick Mayall is, come on. Yeah. You brought up Inside Out, and that is a perfect example of a movie like this that is good. And God, like uh, the character, is it the, is it the imagination? The, the one that like leaves the kid as they're growing up. That's like in that I'm talking about in. That's his imaginary friend. That's a, uh, um, what's the name of that actor? Fuck Richard dude. Kind. Yeah. It's, it's rough. That That's mm -hmm. like, cause you can relate to that. This is just kind of like. I watched this and I thought like any level-headed adult that watched this can see what it's going for, but then being like, okay, but this, it's just not good. It's not funny. It can't figure out what kind of tone it wants to have. And um, at the risk of sounding on brand, 
or <laughs> at the risk of using a cheap expression, this is one of those movies I watch and I feel people that scream how great it actually is are just contrarians like this. <laughs> I, I I think they maybe watch it at the right time for the movie. That's fair. That's very fair. Uh, watching this younger, I could see this being like an early teens rebellious type of movie as well. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like there were some things that I was able to relate to with the dad being encouraging and the mom kind of being a lot more. That's not how you're supposed to act and shit like that. But again, the the review I wrote on Letterbox was something to the effect of just because something is an analogy doesn't mean it can't suck. And I think that's kind of <laughs> what this is. Yeah, I think that uh, w- when you brought up, oh, God, what's the, the actor's name again for Fred? Rick Mayall. Yeah, when you brought up Rick Mayall, that's, that kind of hits the nail on the head, at least for my experience. Because I remember I was pretty open-minded about whatever the movie was trying to do until Fred showed up. And it was it was just one of those moments, like when Jar Jar Binks shows up in episode one, where you just know. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, no, it's this type of movie. And it's unmistakable. You know, he comes in at 11, and he stays at 11 for the entire movie, and you just know that that's, that's what you're in for. And, and then he asks for I a think kiss. that maybe... <laughs> yes the fuck <laughs> with tongue open mouth um no the, but i think that maybe if i'd seen this when i was a kid if i grew up where you know all the other stuff goes over my head but the what i find entertaining about the movie is the performance of fred because he's just bigger than life and silly and just so animated and all that stuff and uh then maybe i become an adult that just loves this movie despite its failings because well, if you have appreciation for Fred as a character, then it's kind of hard not to like the movie, I guess. But in my case, just as a fully formed adult experiencing that performance, that character, it's like, oh my God, it's just whoever compared it to Nails on the Chalkboard in Contrarian's Corner, I mean, they were dead on because that's that's what this was. And there's nothing in the movie that comes even close to balancing it out to where I can say, well, that performance is too big, but at least there's everything else. Like, I, I, there's nothing in the movie that I can say, well, I like this a lot. At most, it's just like, oh, well, Carrie Fisher's cool, or you know, Phoebe Cates is trying, but <laughs> that's that's it. There's there's nothing for me to hold on to. Tim Matheson has some hair. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Memorable hair. Uh, uh, well, it seems like that's something we come across pretty regularly on here too about movies that I hold nostalgia for because of a certain point in time that I saw them at the same time. I feel with empire records immediately comes to mind. I love that movie. Uh, I could watch that movie start to finish, you know, a day a week for the rest of my life. And I love quoting it. I think it's funny. Soundtrack's amazing. There's even some character traits that I relate to. I fully acknowledge how fucking stupid, like, the plot of that movie is. How flimsy the plot of that movie is. How, like, even worse the theatrical release of that is because they truncate the story even more. (laughs) That's where I start to have trouble with movies like this. And it's passionate fan base that I, I learned about today. It would be like me saying Ready to Rumble's... It's actually a good movie, and here's why. That that's kind of like what I take away from this. And look, 
I think it's important we get this out of the way because it is something of a serious nature, and I do not want to seem make it seem like we're trivializing this. The film screenplay was rewritten by director uh, Ate De Jong. At De Jong, I, I, again, sorry, brother, I'm not sure how to pronounce your name. And producer Paul Webster throughout pre-production, De Jong took inspiration from being molested as a child by his older half brother when writing the movie, stating the Jesus. trauma. Yeah, stating the trauma of childhood abuse goes deep and its claws reach far in time. It was not something ever spoken about on the set, not with Rick or anybody, but it existed for me. So, obviously, this is coming from a place of sincerity and reality, but this movie just seems to have a continual identity crisis that they just can't figure out what to do, and then, shit, man, that's that's just it. it and I'm not even saying that the the fred character couldn't have worked but it's just trying to do that super like over the top it'd be like um if eternal sunshine jim carrey was acting like ace ventura in it yes if that makes any sense <laughs> no that makes perfect sense because I, I so i was thinking i'm like this highlights how difficult it is to nail that that blend of tones right where the you know you have some really serious shit you're talking about, but you also have comedy with it. And I think that, yeah, the, the dissonance between the the comedy in this movie is just is too big, at least for me. I just I can't bridge it together to like the serious stuff. Uh, you know, this this girl in her childhood traumas and then this this grown man that is dressed all in green and is flicking boogers at people and making a mess like the comedy is just cringy and i think that if the comedy was more clever then i think that i would have an easier time of just shifting back and forth between the really sad thoughtful things and the just and the funny stuff but it's it's just too far that's why pixar i keep bringing pixar up because it's you know they're kind of like the modern example of that kind of stuff you know they're so good because the, i think that the comedy is always pretty smart and that helps you deal with it like they managed to be really smart but also accessible uh, so that kids don't get bored and also profound in this yeah. movie the comedy is not smart <laughs> i think the comedy is accessible but but that's probably where it stops so yeah i mean i agree with you this is a, on paper like the, the idea is definitely worth trying it's worth a shot but i don't think that the the execution was there at all they have talented people. I mean, th- this dude, I mean, I can tell that, uh, uh, you know, all joking aside, it was like, yeah, he's not Robin Williams, but he he definitely has talent. It's not like anybody can, like, get up there and put on that performance. Yeah. It's just that it doesn't mesh with the rest of the movie. And then Phoebe Cates, I know she's good. I just, you know, I just kind of have to, I watch and I feel bad at seeing her kind of, like, stuck with this character and these lines where she's... Uh, I just have such a hard time buying this story and like following the story because it just feels, I know it sounds silly to think, to, to say that a story about an imaginary friend that's actually real, like to say that that is too contrived, but that's how I felt like the entire movie was just like, I can't follow it because it's all just so ridiculous. Yeah. And she's not exactly Leah Thompson and Howard the Duck pulling these lines off either. Uh, no, but, but Howard stunted. the Duck it's as as discussed howard the duck's not as bad as people say it is not at all and it is way better than uh drop dead fred as far as you know consistency and having a pretty good idea of what movie it is yes 
so yeah, I wanted to call that out to make sure it's understood that we're not trying to minimize where this movie came from, but at the same time, you know, what I mean by the identity crisis thing is I think a movie that was trying to approach these things a bit more seriously or was trying to make a serious movie to begin with would not have that scene where they're in the restaurant where like it turns into a food fight. I, for some reason, immediately thought of here comes the boom because I, I, I'm almost positive that was you telling me that like the momentum of that movie was derailed by that food fight scene that seemed put in just to like entertain kids. And it yep. seems like that's kind of the case here, even though I believe this movie was PG-13. Um, yeah, PG-13 fantasy comedy. I saw some places calling it a, a black comedy. It most certainly is not. No. Unless this entire movie went over my head, which I, I'm not going to give it that much credit for. But <laughs> hey, it's possible. Like I said, the first time I watched Romeo and Michelle, it went completely over my head. So I was also like 16 or 17. But anyway, that scene, yeah, where they're on the lunch date and he's just like, I just love how you can do that. That type of thing. It's, yeah, it's a bit much. I just, at no point in this could I get invested in it because, like I said, when I came close to like understanding and, you know, relating to some of the moments with the, the mother and like the kind of frayed relationship there and just kind of the issues with it. That, that it caused, not with it, but that, that came from it. As soon as I could get, like, somewhat close to that, you know, Fred came back in and was throwing mud on the table and grabbing too small a <laughs> slice, and it was just kind of like, I, okay, I don't, I'm lost here. And the, the whole, the, this is, again, another movie that seems like there was maybe 75 minutes of the movie, and they're like, fuck, we need to do something else, so they just came up with that scene in the mall, like that type of shit. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's difficult. That's difficult when I'm yelling into Marsha Mason's ear and she's trying not to uh, try, try not to react. It's also careful as well because sometimes you do that and you do take really well. But if I said, uh, "I said, what are you doing, mega bitch?" like that to her, and her hair might kind of flap a little bit, and then we'd have to cut and do it again. It's because kind of, Fred must have no impact on the real world when there's another adult around. There are lots of complicated rules like that. But it's also as we're talking, right? It's it goes beyond Fred because, for example, okay, you have the character of the mom. That is. Like looking at the big picture, she is a very important character. She's a, a vital part of why Phoebe Cates' character is the way she is. And yet, I never really felt that I had a good understanding of who she was as a person. She's just she's just a villain. So when when Phoebe Cates forgives her at the end, it just feels like well, I have a zero connection to this because I'm not seeing her forgive a human being. I'm just seeing her forgive this monster for lack of a better word that we had throughout the movie uh-huh. uh, same thing with her her buddy like mickey like that dude is not a real person <laughs> you know he's just he's just a cartoon that's there so that he can play off uh phoebe cates but it's he's not a real person so there's no joy in seeing her connect to him because she's just trading uh the the fred cartoon for the mickey cartoon yeah you know so I, I think that there's it's just a problem with modulation and just you, you know just getting your characters right and the tone right and the humor right and all that stuff, um, but I think that there's a lot of I out of those reviews I read on Letterbox you know the people that were like fully invested I'm like obviously if it works for you it works but I got the feeling that that was there was a lot that was coming not from the craft that had gone into making the movie, but more with the, just what you brought to the movie to begin with, which is funnily enough, is something I said about Joker <laughs> that a lot of people that, that were projecting very complex reads into Joker were like, well, coming with 
that kind of worldview that helped them sink in with the movie a certain way. And I think that also, you if you come into uh, Drop Dead Fred, I think with the right amount of nostalgia and the right, uh, I guess, I don't know, vulnerability to certain themes that it that it treats, then, you know, you walk away from it saying, man, that was a very fresh, thoughtful exploration of uh, some very know, complex uh, themes. And, and, you know, I just don't feel it. I, I, I don't yeah, get it. And that's all art. That's, you know, it. you bring to it what you have. And that's kind of the, your interpretation will vary based on that. At the same time, uh, yeah, obviously I have not, ever been any type of like combat i've not fought in a war i certainly didn't fight in world war ii but i can still watch saving private ryan and be like fuck man that's a good movie and that really hit me hard and you know we're, you can all, sit- we're all up on no <laughs> that guy that dude's the fucking worst he's the biggest <laughs> heel like in film history but my point is you know I was never Johnny Cash, but Walk the Line is still a good movie. Uh, and so while what I bring to the table for something can affect my viewing of it, I still think if the movie's not good, that doesn't work. And if the movie's not good, I can't look past the fact that I can't relate to this and enjoy it. I, I just, you know what I mean? Like it's, mm-hmm. I understand what this movie's trying to say. I don't think it does it well because the way it's presented is just so uneven and flimsy but you know there's there's some really shit movies out there that i think have some real emotional resonance to them so i i can't completely write this off but it's just man it was not for me i had a really hard time getting through this because it was i thought to myself like when i saw that universal signature at the beginning i was like man i'm i'm eight (laughs) years old again plorp down in front of the tv and that this might have worked at that point in time. Yeah. I think that it also, uh, I think it might just help. This is kind of an obvious point to make, but if you find Fred funny, then, you know, like remove him from the, from the movie that he's in. Like if you put just the Rick Mayall performance, if it was just your standard, forget about the, the, the childhood trauma and the psychological breakdowns and everything. If you just think that, Rick Mayall picking his nose is funny, then you're probably going to enjoy you're you're primed to enjoy this movie more than than me because I just don't find it funny in a vacuum or in the context of this movie. <laughs> and most of the things he does in this the movie, Tom like, Green I don't thing. find him funny. Yep. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Man, I went down the Tom Green rabbit hole. I told you, I texted you about that. It happens, man. It's funnier to appreciate it like at a distance i think but i had his fucking theme song i had it played in a loop because i found like a video that had good quality and uh i don't know if you've seen it because i imagine that he had different intros recorded uh, i talking about this is the tom green show it's yep. not the green tom show <laughs> yes <laughs> but he at least the, the video that i found he's he has the phantom of the opera mask <laughs> And he's like <laughs> crawling through the woods. <laughs> it's just really weird. That's tremendous. Yes. Funnier than anything on Drop Dead Fred. <laughs> uh, Carrie Fisher was I. Uh, I, I just 
that was uncomfortable watching her try to fight an invisible person, but I yeah. thought she was did it wrong. Uh, she, I mean, it made me the idea of her having sex with this dude once a month <laughs> when his wife was out of town. <laughs> that made me laugh. I mean, but that was probably because it was Carrie Fisher, not so much because the yeah. the movie was being funny. Uh, Tim Matheson it goes back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier. He just exists to be a caricature of an asshole boyfriend. It's like, in what planet? I mean, that's just... I mean, I guess, yes, there are people that are like that. But, man, it's a much more interesting movie if he's an actual person that, you know, cheated on her once. But then when he gets back together with her, he just wants to get back together with her. And she just realizes that it doesn't work without him having to be, again, a monster, right? Why does he have to cheat on her again? Oh, because, you know, that just simplifies things. I think it shows more of a growth if she makes a mature decision to break up with him just because the relationship is not there. It's not working as opposed to all oh, because she catches him cheating again because he's a fucking cartoon villain. Yeah, it doesn't work. The mud pie that sprays on uh, Tim Matheson was controlled by compressed air tubes from underneath the table. At one point, something went wrong with the tubes, resulting in mud spraying all over the crew and all over an uninsured prop painting that was worth $100,000. God bless. Who had a heart attack there? The director? (laughs) Shortly after the film's release, Carlos Davis and Anthony Fingleton and producer Paul Webster began working with Polygram, Working Titles Film, and New Line Cinema on a sequel, with Rick Mayall reprising the role of Drop Dead Fred but may all decline to return in the role. So the sequel was reworked with the then unknown Jim Carrey in the role. But this version was scrapped both due to Polygram experiencing financial difficulties and Carrey had signed on to do Ace Ventura Pet Detective. However, New Line Cinema later used Carrey in the same year in both The Mask and Dumb and Dumber. In the early 2000s, may all worked with both Fingleton and Davis on a proper sequel with working title producing and financing the budget and focus features distributing though the sequel would also not materialize due to Mayall's declining health in 2009 working title and universal pictures began working on a remake with Russell Brand to star as drop dead Fred. However, due to the box office failure, getting worse and worse. (laughs) (laughs) However, due to the box office failure of Arthur, the project was scrapped. Do you think we'll ever see a drop dead Fred part two? We have to wait and see how it goes, you know. I mean, this is a big break for me. This is an American, big American movie, you know. If the Americans don't want to know about that kind of thing, then fine. Well, not fine, very sad, <laughs> terrible. But, um, but if, they, if it goes well and if, you know, if America likes it and they want to make a sequel, I, there's more to do. There's plenty more things to smash up. I'm on. Um, I will say this, because you were talking about, like, the potential sequels, and, uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to see that. But if I have something good to say about this movie is that while I may not be crazy about the way it's shot and the way that it's staged and everything, like, I think it's a good ending. The the cyclical nature of Fred's existence, so to speak. Yes. And I really I, I did feel the callback to Peter Pan and I I thought that it was actually pretty pretty affecting. She's moved on and then she realizes that just because she's moved on doesn't mean that Fred doesn't exist. It just means that she can't see him anymore. But Fred's still there and they're they're younger, more innocent minds that can still play with him. And man, that that deserves a better movie. <laughs> that, that final movement in this story. You know, I'll give it props there. 
And if you could have, I, I mean, I, I guess what the sequel was supposed to be him with a different girl, or would they have brought uh, Phoebe Cates out of retirement for it? <laughs> they would have, yeah, enlisted her services. They would have <laughs> cranked out the blank checks, and here it is. Have at it. You know, and through the IMDb trivia and stuff and other things I've looked at, it's the so-and-so is considered for the role. And it's all these names of like, you're telling me these fuckers would have been in this movie? Robin Williams. I mean, that's, you could see that. You could see Robin Williams doing this and probably pull it off. Well, that's because uh, a little better. This may, this may be unfair, but yeah, I would expect Robin Williams to, to elevate the comedy to where it wouldn't be just so childish. It would like this would be literally like him as the genie just in real life. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like this. Like Josh Brolin, Michael J. Fox, Anthony Michael Hall, Matthew Modine, Keanu Reeves, and Charlie Sheen were considered for the role of Mickey. Yeah, Charlie Sheen's gonna do this movie in nineteen ninety one. Michael J. Michael Fox. Michael J. Fox. Yeah. yeah. Throwing spaghetti at people. So I can't say I've seen every single film that came out in 1991, but I'd probably be inclined to side with Gene Siskel on this. So for the sake of uh, positivity, let's take it to the other side of the equation. Take it to March 30th of 1992, where we awarded the best in cinema in the year of 1991. Julio, it dominated the big four. Sounds of lamps. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. It took home the big four. Uh, can you tell me what else was nominated for Best Picture? Oh, no. Uh, Remains of... The- no, 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 no. It's not- Hopkins was not there twice. Hang on. One of these <sighs> was a big one. Uh, controversially, was by purists, was criticized for devaluing the award. Oh, Beauty and the Beast. My man. Yeah. Man, that far back, I remember the the sweep from Silence of the Lambs because I remember watching those Oscars. I was a little kid. I hadn't seen the movie, but I don't remember the others. Robin Williams was nominated, uh, speaking of Robin Williams, for The Fisher King for Best Actor. Nice. Wouldn't he be Best Supporting Actor in that? Hey, well, you know, they took out the ad on the paper. Jeff Bridges <laughs> said, sure. <laughs> it was too late. Um Got a couple Cape Fear nominations. The other best pictures back up to that was Beauty and the Beast, as you called out, Bugsy, JFK, and The Prince of Tides. Okay. I mean, if, I, if you gave me long enough, I probably would have come up with JFK, but the other two, never. So best original screenplay did not go to Drop Dead Fred, unfortunately. <laughs> Went to Thelma and Louise. I always forget Boys in the Hood was nominated for that. Julio, you should get this with how much I go on about it. It's 4th of July weekend, 1991. This movie would end up winning one, two, three, four Academy Awards, all for technical shit, including best sound, best sound effect editing, best makeup, best visual effects. It's the greatest action movie of all time, Julio. It's (laughs) Terminator 2, Judgment Day. (laughs) All right, Julio. So we're going to the night before the Academy Awards, March 29th of 1992, for the 12th annual Golden Raspberry Awards. Recognizing the worst the movie industry had to offer in 1991, and I already have some things to say. Oh, no. Uh, all right. So, no uh, Rick Mayall in the worst actor category, but we did have Kevin Cosner winning for Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. <laughs> Andrew Dice Clay was nominated for Dice Rules. Sylvester Stallone was nominated for Oscar. Uh, <laughs> Vanilla Ice for Cool as Ice, and Bruce Willis for Hudson Hawk. 
I'm glad Stallone didn't win because you know we we had our issues with Oscar, but and I had my issues with his performance, but still I wouldn't call it worst of the year. No. Yeah, it doesn't look like Drop Dead Fred got any nominations. Snub, which is. is Yes, exactly. Uh, in the category worst actress, no Phoebe Cates, but we did have Sean Young winning for A Kiss Before Dying. Uh, nominated was Kim Basinger in The Marrying Man, Sally Field in Not Without My Daughter, Madonna in Madonna, Truth or Dare, and Demi Moore in The Butcher's Wife and Nothing But Trouble. Man, Oscar got nominated for a ton of shit. Fuck off. <laughs> They they nominated Marissa Tomei for Worst Supporting Actress in Oscar. Yeah, fuck that. <laughs> All right. And then Worst Picture, no Drop Dead Fred, but nominated was Return to the Blue Lagoon, Nothing But Trouble, Dice Rules, Cool as Ice, and the winner, which I'm sh- I don't know if you'll have the issue I do with this also, Hudson Hawk. Oh, no. Come on. Yeah. Uh, I think Drop Dead Fred is a worse movie than Hudson Hawk. A hundred percent. This is... <laughs> Siskel, as I get older, I, I, you know, a lot of wrestling fans say, as you get older, you realize Bret Hart is right. As I get older, that's me with Gene Siskel. Every time I read a review of his, I'm like, I'm not sure what I've really come across. If it's something that I'm like passionate about or would like give it, you know, we talked about on Almost Heroes. He did not like Chris Farley. He did not find him funny. And that to me, that is an age thing of like. Farley was just really funny to me and helps like shape what I thought of comedy was. But none of his movies are these things that I'm going to go on this passionate defense of. But like Gene Siskel, when he talks about something really sucked, usually I'm inclined to agree with him. And when he defend, like obviously, as you know, and longtime listeners know, I think Saturday Night Fever is incredible. And he went to the fucking grave saying that if it wasn't his number one, it was one of his favorite movies of all time. So, uh, yeah, it's getting older hooey. is realizing <laughs> it's not hooey. And that too, I agreed with them. Most of Crash is who. <laughs> As I feel bad, this is zero for two with Paul. We both have just been like, eh, about these movies that he appears to really enjoy. So I think that's part of it, though. He wouldn't be a patron request if he didn't want to know what we thought about it. I do wonder if he thought that we were going to like it, or if he gave it to us expecting us to not like it. He was just rubbing his hands and giggling at the idea of us watching Drop Dead Fred and just scratching our heads and going like, what the hell is going on? Let's see where this goes. But as we always talk about, it's just fun to have shit we'd never seen before come across our desk. So can't say I really enjoyed it, but the reason it's coming to us is because of patron, and that's a good thing. So Paul and all of our patrons, keep them coming. Again, don't take that as a challenge. Until I saw his review on Letterboxd, I thought he just looked up like worst movies of all time and <laughs> just picked a name and sent it to us. But it appears the good brother likes it. <laughs> Look, I'll give I'll, I'll say this. It's a Phoebe Cates movie and there aren't enough of those. So if nothing else, I uh, appreciate the fact that now I have one more movie to go to when I'm thinking, okay, what's Phoebe Cates in? So now I have Gremlins, Gremlins 2, uh, Fast Times at Richmond High, and Drop Dead Fred. There you go. Just add to the mythology. That's a good thing. Uh, so what is your score, Julio? Oh, dude, this is one star. <laughs> it's just... The, the only reason it's not half a star is because 
I like the ending. I I mean, I like the idea behind the ending. Worth it. And and I understand, you know, I'll give it credit for what it's trying to do. I just think it doesn't work at all. So one star. How about you? I gave it a half a star on Letterbox. <laughs> uh, yeah, so sadly, I'd, I'd have to give this one an F. Nothing really worked for me at all throughout it. And uh, yeah, it, it goes to the bottom. As has already been confirmed, it does not go below Hancock, as that is the absolute <laughs> bottom of the bottom. But uh, it doesn't not, make you not mad. for me. It does not make me mad. That's the That's the test right there. But regardless, not for me. But again, don't want to end it necessarily on too negative a note because we appreciate the reason it came to us. So, Paul, thank you again. Uh, we look forward to what you got for us next. And I look forward to hearing what he has to say. I mean, I'm not saying, Paul, defend your position, but more like, Paul, enlighten us. What do you like about this movie? Just yeah. share your love for it. And uh, in, in, I, I think at this point, it would be hard to change our minds, but at least I would like to see your point of view. <laughs> so... Uh, I mean, Paul's pretty outspoken, so I'm sure we'll we'll hear from him sooner rather than later. Tremendous. Speaking of sooner rather than later, Julio, what's uh what's coming up next for the Contrarians? Uh, up next, we are moving into the the final chunk of the French Travaganza. Uh, we have two chapters to go. Chapter five is the Roth chapter, the David Schwimmer chapter, and for that, we're going to cover the movie Kissing a Fool. David Schwimmer, Jason Lee. And an actress I'm not familiar with in a comedy directed by the guy behind the Entourage movie. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's a, it's a very interesting uh, formula. And then on the After Hours, we're going to talk about his the two movies that David Schwimmer has directed. So Run, Fat Boy, Run, and uh, I was going to say Hard Candy. It's not Hard Candy. It's, it's not. Uh, trust. Yeah. Uh, Run, Fat Boy, Run, and Trust. Good times, I've I've been told. I haven't seen either of those. I was about to say, very poor choice of words, following up trust with good times. <laughs> uh, no, it'll be an interesting discussion. David Schwimmer, up next. All right. Well, that is going to take us into our perennial plugs as we get out of here. We start off by giving thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster, Hans Rutteser, he's the man behind our logo, the man behind all the graphics on our webpage, our Patreon page, our merch page. Uh, he's a very talented dude. Check out his webpage, mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-M-O-N-I-O-S dot P-E. You can find the list of all his different works there, uh, not just his podcasts. He has two of those, uh, Marginal, which is about economy, and Nación Combi, which is about Peruvian current affairs. But you can also find a list of his novels. He's written a whole bunch of fantasy novels, uh, zombie novels. You can talk to him about any of those things by contacting him on Twitter at Mildemonios or uh, emailing him at Mildemonios at Hotmail.com. Hans, thank you for all your support. And thank you to the support and assistance of Ms. Zoe Perez, who helps run our social media game. If you're on Facebook, go to facebook.com slash contrarian prime. Give us a follow there. There you'll find some exclusive videos that preview upcoming episodes. Uh, Zoe helps put those together and upload those on our page. On Instagram, we are at contrarian prime. You can follow us there. You'll find audio clips, interactive graphics, uh, images, clips, previewing upcoming episodes, all that good stuff. Uh, Zoe makes it 
look very pretty and professional for us, and we uh, really do appreciate that. So, Zoe, thank you for all the work that you do. And to our listening audience, thank you for the the work you do and listening to us drone on about these movies from time to time. We really do appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed yourselves along with us talking about Drop Dead Fred. That is going to do it for this episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. I'm really glad you're following